Welcome to the fifth episode of Rewriting the Narrative, Women in the Justice System. Before we begin, we would like to acknowledge that this podcast was put together on the land of the Boonwurrung people of the Kulin Nation and acknowledge their traditional owners, past, present and emerging leaders. The Living Free Project has embarked on the podcast journey in order to share their learnings and experiences and also provide a platform for the community to hear from others working to improve outcomes for women in the community and also to hear from those women impacted personally. With current restrictions in place, we are recording online. So bear with us on some shaky audio. We hope the content makes up for it. Hi, my name's Jana Hargrove. I hope you're doing well. I'm your host for today and I'm the Women's Outreach Worker for the Living Free Project. In this podcast of Rewriting the Narrative, Women in the Justice System, I'm joined by a woman who has experienced firsthand the stigma, systems barriers and personal barriers that women who have come into contact with the justice system often face. This story in particular could be described as one of an ongoing battle, but also one of continued personal growth. It is about a woman who has had multiple contacts with the justice system and knows all too well the difficulties women leaving prison face and the challenges of reintegrating into a society that seems designed to keep them living on the margins, sometimes in poverty, without a home, and often without a job or family support. Welcome, Amy. Thank you so much for agreeing to be interviewed. We are very lucky to have you here. How are you going today? Yeah, cool. So the first question is, can you give us a brief history of your upbringing and family and relationships? Yeah, sure. So I grew up in Tassie on the northwest coast in a town called Burnie and um, I had a pretty good upbringing actually, like um, pretty happy family and um, it was a pretty small town there. My mum was a teacher at the high school there and my dad was a teacher as well. So we're pretty well known in our, in our town. And then when I was about 12, mum got cancer and since then well I suppose it's just been completely different but yeah so she got terminal lung cancer and then she I think we had about 14 months with her while she was sick and um yeah since then everything's just I suppose yeah my whole world turned upside down and um I turned to drugs then to sort I didn't know how to communicate what what I was feeling or what was going on and some other stuff happened with my dad at the same time and I I just didn't know how to talk about it so when for me um, I started smoking pot when I was about yeah about 12 and that sort of helped me talk about it easier so it was intentional back then to um to use drugs as like a coping mechanism I suppose to um yeah to be it, it helped me talk about it easier than when I wasn't using drugs because I just didn't know. I just sort of turned into a clam and clammed up because I didn't know how to talk about it. Yeah. Yeah. So do you, did you ever um, have any experience like with counsellors or, or like try to get help during that early period? I think I vaguely remember my dad, oh, see, so it's sort of confusing um, and a bit messy, but yeah. like, so at the same time, I was, I was angry at my dad at the same time. So mm-hmm. he tried to take me to counsellors, but because he'd said it, I was rebelling and I was like, well, I don't want to talk about it. So, so yeah, like, I mean, 
that he tried um, and I just wasn't open to it at all because it was his idea. Yeah. So, yeah. yeah. And I remember it being like really sterile environment and I thought, I was just thinking, the lady, like, you don't know what's going on. Like, you, and I was, yeah, just really, um, what's the word, you know, like rebelling. Yeah. Anti-authority. Yeah. yeah. So, <laughs> yeah, I, I wasn't very open to talking with her at the time. But, I mean, I would talk to my friends, but I was always under the influence of something. Like, drinking, that was big back in Tassie because there was not much to do. So, on weekends, we'd just get drunk. Yeah. And, um, I, yeah, sometimes I would talk to my friends about it, but... At the same time, it's really hard to talk to when you don't know how to talk about or, yeah, with someone that doesn't really understand what what you're feeling. So, um, yeah, it was always really difficult. I did journal a lot, but even then I didn't, like my trust issues were major from back at a really young age. So I wouldn't even fully be able to be open in a journal because I was scared that someone would read it. Yeah. Yeah, but in terms of like help and that, I didn't really, I was in denial for years about my addiction. So I didn't think that I needed help. I thought, actually thought that I knew everything. So yeah, thank you for sharing that. That's all right. So in relation to when you started offending or, or, you know, whenever you first got locked up in Sydney or picked up in Sydney, you were saying earlier, do you... Can you tell us a little bit about the environment or situation you were in at the time that you feel that led to your offending? Yeah, sure. I think so, yeah, when I first got arrested in Sydney, I think I was homeless and I was living in, going from hotel to hotel and, you know, couch surfing a bit here and there. I was with my first girlfriend. It was, yeah, it was just a nightmare, like, all the time. Because um, we were offending as well, like to so it was basically a survival thing as well, but as well as drugs. Um, but yeah, to each day just doing something different. But it was totally illegal, and we knew that. But we really, um, it felt like we had no option. I didn't know where to get help. I didn't know that you know it was. I, I was too scared to even go into the like the services. I remember at the shooting gallery one day in um, Sydney, in King's Cross, and the, a lady was just trying to talk to me. I think she would, guess she was a, I don't know what she was, but she was just trying to talk to me about getting help. And I thought she was the police and I was real paranoid and, and didn't want to talk to her. So I, in terms of going in somewhere and asking for help, I was really, I was really good at presenting that I'm all, that I'm, it's all good and everything's okay as well. So it was hard for other people. Then no one's a mind reader, you know. But I just assume that everyone knows what's going on for me. But unless you tell them, they really got no idea. But yeah, yeah, I didn't know that there was even help you could get. I thought we'd just get in trouble. So yeah, didn't know. I still don't even really know all of the options that's available. Really, it's not really advertised that well. Yeah. I mean, especially coming in and out of prison. Like you know, I mean, maybe they tell you now, but they didn't back then. Yeah, that was 2012. I wanted- yeah. 2012 yeah I wanted to ask you about that um like what help you received post-release like was it voluntary or was it mandated were you on an order and yeah what Um, what did you find useful if anything well the first time was in Sydney that was when I was 18 no sorry maybe 20 I'm not sure actually around Mm. then but that we got 300 hours community service and um I was bailed to my yeah, my first girlfriend's house, her mum's house, sorry, in the Blue yeah. Mountains. So we had to do, yeah, 300 hours of community service and 
Uh, I think that was it, really. But um, in terms of support or anything, there was nothing really offered at all other than NA meetings, which are free. And, like, they didn't, uh, yeah, they didn't ask us really anything. And, and so we did that. I went, we, we both worked in an old people's home um, during the community service and went to NA meetings and completed the order. And then even when I was down here, though, there was I got bail. I did a KISS program. Yeah, um, a couple of corrections orders, but I mean, I don't think. I think it was just all mandated. There was nothing. Um, I mean, I, I I wanted help, but um, I didn't really know. Oh, yeah. And then the third time I went, I got um, court ordered to go to into treatment, into uh, drug and alcohol treatment. Yeah. By Judge Judge Popovich, she was amazing. She was probably what changed my whole view of the justice system, actually. Yeah, she was amazing. She go, She said, like, yeah, I'm going to give you a chance. And it was the best chance that she could have given me. Like, she sent me to, I think she sent me to Odyssey House or maybe um, someone had told me about it. And, yeah, I went went there and then I left when court was over, like, when I, um, as soon as it was finished. But, I mean, I think I was making up excuses, really, if I'm honest. Um, and then I came out again because they sort of, at Odyssey, they, they teach you a the different way of life. Like I didn't realize that life could be like that, you know, and that you can have friends that are cl like closer than your family. It's yeah, it's changed my life. I think about it every like something I refer back to Odyssey in in one way or another every single day. And that was I graduated there in 2016, so it's four years ago, and I still think about it every day. And yeah, they, they brainwash you in a healthy way. That's what happens. So people yeah. <laughs> talk about it. <laughs> they brainwash you how to be healthy and have a good life. It's yeah, it's amazing. Yeah. How but long yeah, that, were you there? That, um, I was there twenty-two months. I think it took me. Oh well, lucky. So you lived there for a, a certain part of it. Yeah. First period, and then in the um, you slowly integrate back out into um society. And you're still living in the house, but you have a lot more freedom and, you know, you don't do anything on your own up until the leavers program where you can go off on your own, but, yeah, um, which is for a reason and good reason. Yeah. And then I lived out of the house, but I was still in the program, if that makes sense. You called leavers living out and then you, um, that was a few more, maybe six months, actually maybe yeah. a bit longer. And then you, when you feel you're ready to um, break away from the house, you flagged to graduate. And your peers say, um, they give you feedback and either say yes or no. And, um, yeah, then they said yes. And then, uh, yeah, I was uh, off into the real world. But it's such a strange transition. It's kind yeah. of like going from prison to back into society, that surreal feeling like where things have been going on and you've just been on hold, like life's been on hold, but still yeah. working on yourself. But um, it's strange. Yeah, it's hard to explain unless you've been there, but. Did you stay in yes, contact I, with any of the peeps that you're in Odyssey House with, like, at the same yeah, time? Yeah, yeah. Yep, they're, like, still, like, my family. Like, the relationships you build there, they're different than any anything I've ever experienced. Yeah, I'm still in contact with um, a lot of them, actually. That's, yeah. That's cool. Every day. That's yeah. good. Yeah, it's good. What did you find unhelpful around your experiences with the justice system? And, you know, um, the community and post-release. Yeah, I guess the lack of options of, in terms of support that they give you, like a lot of it came from my lawyer, I think, in terms of like getting help and, uh, you know, they 
there's not yeah when I wasn't given many options I still yeah still haven't even this recent time I haven't been given any um a couple but yeah it's all come from my lawyer yeah in like terms of what help there is about, yeah like there's no she just told me um a name and then said you know like google it yeah a lot of it I've investigated myself and and it's kind of um it's hard to find it's hard to find um there's no I guess it could be helpful to um for Centrelink or like one of those MyGov pages or something to have a what helps available page because um really you don't know unless someone tells you or yeah it's not written it's not written at the train station or you know what I mean like it's hard to find whether what helps available even yeah. I had no idea that they would help you with finding a house I had no idea about that yeah have you been have you accessed any of those homelessness support services or yeah was it last year I I got kicked out of my house and because of my addiction and I had nowhere to go and I had hadn't been paid from work yet so I I went into a, I think it was someone at work told me there's a place down on the road there go and go in there and ask them and then they said oh no it's moved now and it's gone around the corner so anyway I eventually found them and they put me in crisis accommodation for I think four days and then they said okay you've got to go now because otherwise or or you can stay on but you're only off each person's only offered four days emergency accommodation that's free and the rest you have to they garnish half your wages and I was like so I get when I got paid I think it was the, the following day and I said so you're going to take half my wages to stay here it was this dingy little room that stunk like they had mold on the floor you know it's just like just like you'd think picture in a dingy yeah. hotel and um yeah. Yeah, it was just not ideal at all. And I thought, I'm not paying $350 for this for the rest yeah. of the week because that's yeah. more than you would pay in a rental house. Yeah, absolutely. It just seemed ridiculous. Like, they say yeah. this, crisis accommodation and that, but it's not really. It's when you get actually there, it's not like that. Yeah. Um, yeah, so I suppose unhelpful, yeah, just the lack of um, options or, or even um, – and the lack of support. Like, they, they haven't really even – uh, my lawyers called me a few times to ask, you know, functional stuff but and to see if I'm okay. But in terms of support, like there's no support that offered. Like I, I don't know what I'm meant to be doing. Yeah. I guess, yeah. And do you go to NA meetings or do you find – because that's not for everyone either. Like is it – that's a very, you know. Yeah. I've never been before but I think that that's something that uh, – with my psychologist, she likes – uh, part of her, she's a rehabilitation psychologist and um, she used to be one of my therapists at Odyssey. So I linked back in with her and um, she makes me go to NA for her, yeah, in terms of her appointments. And I do urine tests with her so that it's all accountable and honest. And um, yeah, she said she th believes in, um, yeah, NA being, she, uh, yeah, the answer, I guess, because I suppose because of the... Um, connection like uh, connections like the antidote to addiction because you so you isolate yourself and everything so and I and, and people understand you there you know like I remember I've listened to a few I've probably only honestly been to about five in my life but I went recently to go to one and I thought oh no because of COVID where's everyone going and googled it and that's on zoom it's a zoom meeting and yeah but I freaked out because I my, it was like my big head on the <laughs> screen and then all these tiny there's a bit confronting so um, I like to hide up the back of the meetings but they always ask me to share and I'm like oh, oh even just listening to myself talk like I 
you think, oh no, listen to the sound of my voice on audio and you start <laughs> judging yourself and that. Yeah. So then I start thinking that and I'm not even connected to what I'm talking about. So yeah, yeah, oh, that's a very, very strange time. And this, like doing it on video call is very weird as well. Um, yeah, it is. No oh, human, so uh, human contact. Yeah, absolutely. You can't beat like a face-to-face -face body language bouncing off each other. And so we'll have to catch up after this or soon. Yes, in real life. for sure. I know. Um, yeah, for sure. So um, the next question I've got here is what period of your life do you feel like you've had the most growth? Growth? Oh, it would have to be my time at Odyssey in and, and just after it. like. For sure. I mean, I've always been, I suppose since mum got sick, I have been on this journey of, you know, looking for answers for things that, you know, it's a journey finding out and um, personal growth, I guess, as well. But yeah, there was amazing. Like, I can't even explain it. It was, I learned so much from that house and, and in the time after, because I guess it's easy while you're in there to, you just don't leave and the work happens around you, you know, like, that's the key to it. They say, keep your bum in the seat. And um, it's true. Like you just, if you don't leave and you, you know, you're just open to the fact that trust or oh, trusting in the process as well. Yeah. The work sort of, the work is just happening around you and in everything it's in the little things. And, and then when I left there, I was like, Oh, this is where the real work starts because you've got to, you're on your own now. You know, you don't have that the wrapped in cotton wool back at the house thing. You, you're on your own. You've got to trust yourself and you've got to be accountable. So but yeah. I guess I got a, a, another, you know, another level of growth from that. But yeah, that's probably where I've got the most growth. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, and it's hard to define really the most growth. Like I think we're all growing, yeah. aren't we? Really, throughout, you know, it's for sure, times and the the good times and the average times. Like, um, but yeah, I just thought I'd throw that one out there to see what you'd say. Yeah, why not? <laughs> yeah, I reckon. It, yeah, well, because it's like you're always growing, you know, like as yeah. you get older and it's just constant it's like a roll-on effect but you learn more and more as you get older i'm in the waiting list at the moment to go to detox because um i mean it's kind of hard for a long-term drug user to just stop because the judge said stop you can't use drugs like just stop you know what i mean it's kind of a little bit unrealistic but um so i've been yeah doing everything in my power but i mean covid sort of yeah restricted everything so haven't been able to do drug testing and I mean I'm on the waiting list for detox because I figure that they will be able to show they'll be able to do drug tests while I'm in there so if I yeah um, put myself back into treatment then that way that I'll be able to have some sort of evidence that yeah I've been clean so yeah sounds like that's, that's my plan, plan. Mm. yeah yeah if there's anything you could say to any young women listening who may be facing similar issues to yourself, what would it be? Any advice? Is that what you said? Sorry. Yeah. Any advice? Um, probably just if you if you if the opportunity comes up that you get a chance to go to Odyssey House, go to Odyssey House because that place saved my life, and it it just gives you a it'll give you a, an opportunity at living a life you know like to using drugs and addiction and all the lifestyle that comes with that it's just it's a dead-end road like it's you're either going to die you, you get clean or 
you go to jail. And, I mean, going in and out of jail is no fun and everyone knows that. Mm. It's just not worth it at the end of the day. And you just, it's a, it's a waste of a life, really. Like, yeah. think about when you're a kid, like, you don't think, oh, geez, I want to grow up and be a drug addict and go in and out of jail. Like, because that's shit. And, you know, when you actually realise that you've sort of, you've, you know, in the eyes of some people, you've become that. In the eyes of the law, you've become that. Like, it's pretty shit. So if the opportunity comes up to go into treatment, like, give it a crack because it, it can, if you want it, like, it can change your life. You've just got to do the work and just don't leave. That's the advice I'd give. <laughs> awesome. they got to start paying yeah. the Odyssey House, man. We'll have to give them a call I reckon. Bloody <laughs> <laughs> Um, (laughs) thank you Uh, that I guess one other question I wanted to ask was stigma what you know like having been or like having had involvement with the justice system being homeless having a substance use issue has it been horrible who has treated you poorly who like do you still have a relationship with your family yeah Uh, yeah, so I suppose Who's treated me poorly? Like, it's random when people treat poorly. I still get it today, you know. Like, and I think, yeah. oh, God, I must look, must be my haircut or something. Like, mm. Well, yeah, you know, you never really know, especially because I'm gay as well. I don't know whether they're judging me because of my, my lesbian haircut or <laughs> or because I look like a drug addict or something. You know what I mean? Like, I, I don't, it's kind of hard to tell what they're thinking, but you know it's one of them. So, yeah. it's like, yeah, it, even today it still happens randomly or, like, it's mainly... um probably in the supermarket or somewhere where, you know, you, you, in the in the line for somewhere and people staring at you or, or you know, someone will, like, grab their handbag and bring it closer to them or something. And it's like, oh, I'm not going to do that. But, yeah. yeah, even with my family, my family have been pretty, like, supportive um, up until a certain point, you know what I mean? Like, there's only so much they can deal with as well. I've put them, probably put them through so much stress and still do. But, yeah, they've tried to be as supportive as possible. But my relationships are... I mean, I've damaged them a lot. So rebuilding that, I don't even know if a lot of it can be repaired, to be honest. But they they still try, you know, like they try and look past it. But, you know, the, over years of substance abuse and all the lies and the deceit, like it's it's pretty hard to repair that. Because, you know, I was in – it's not so much that I lied to them directly. I just – I was in denial myself. So – I was, you know, lying to myself as much as I was lying to everybody else, thinking that I was clean or, or you know, wanting to be clean. So I'd just say, yeah, 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 you know, I am. But to them, they really, they, they take that really personally and yeah. it's done a lot of damage. So, but yeah, I mean, I'm always working at, I'm, I'm just honest with them now. Since honestly, I, I find it really hard to lie. So I don't anymore. That's just the easiest way because then you've got to remember stuff if you lie. <laughs> When you're honest, it's just there. Yeah, and it's like, oh, what did I say? Oh, God. So now it's just like, oh, if I just tell the truth, I don't have to remember anything. So it's easy. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) But yeah, yeah. That's cool. Uh, Thanks heaps. Is there anything else you wanted to add just on finishing? I don't think so, no. I think you've pretty much covered it all. Yeah. Oh, no, yeah, maybe... um, Maybe that they, I don't know who they are, but the people could um make a, make it a bit more transparent about what options are available for people because, um, cause like I said, I still don't really know. And I was like, oh, wow, what do you do, Jeff? Do you, um, yeah, and I, that's, that's fascinating to me that that, that even exists. Like, yeah. I had no idea. 
yeah it's just not really made known to the right people i guess the people that need it so yeah i don't know where it could be um better but yeah, yeah. no here i know there's smaller organizations that help women you know sort of post-release like flat out and uh I don't know, like we do, but we're just based on the Mornington Peninsula. Um, oh, yeah. And we've been going for two years. But, yeah, I hear what you're saying. There's not, It's not well known. And, and then even if you are referred to a service, that connecting to that service can be really difficult because it's dependent on how you interact with your worker, like whether or not you get along because you're not going to get along with anyone. Oh, yeah. Um, yeah what's available like and what kind of support is offered because if you as you were saying at the start of the interview like with counseling um i know you're in a place where you weren't ready like you're, you're saying you're quite young and your dad was mm. sort of making you go but sitting in that sterile counseling room isn't really a place where you're gonna feel yeah. like you want to naturally open up when you haven't felt exactly. you've been having to open up yeah so, it's um, even I sometimes just, easier to talk when you're walking along with someone or, or sitting outside. Like I find that people are, well, I find it easier to open up when I'm not so much face to face with someone, but like sitting next to them or something or, or like walking because you, you don't have to, you don't feel like they're staring at you or, you know, yeah. you're not really judging yourself as much. You can just be open. So I don't know whether there's anything like that, but that that's pretty good too, I yeah. reckon. Side by side, you know, shoulder to shoulder, you're, you're, oh, yeah. you're equal, you you know, we get that in the car a lot too, with, you know, when we yep. do outreach, people just open up because you're side by side, you don't have to make eye contact, you put the tunes on, you're just going for a drive. Just yeah. relaxing, yeah. yeah. Yeah, that's a good idea. It's a lot easier to open up. Yeah, it is. Yeah, one thing I remember I struggled with was um, going from counsellor to counsellor because I did actually, now I remember, um, after it was with one of my court things that um, I had to see a forensic psychologist. Yeah. And um, then after that, I had to see a, just a normal, I don't know, normal psychologist, but going, trying to find the right one was so difficult and telling my story every single time just wasted the first appointment with, you know, 19 different ones because I thought, no, I'm not comfortable with her or she was judging me or you know, a different reason every time of why not they weren't suitable. But to telling you, having to tell your story, I ended up writing it down. Or my auntie did, I think, for me. She taught, like basically gave like a, a rundown of my life story. And because each time it just triggered me and I was just like, oh, I end up re-traumatising myself every single time just looking for the right counsellor and or psychologist and eventually found the right one. But it's so hard that people just go, it's too hard, I'm not going to bother. Yeah, I yeah. get that a lot. We are constantly, as the Living Free Project, you know, we're constantly trying to, like, talk to services and explain that, you know, remind mm. them that we're telling your story to each service, especially if you're in crisis and, you you know, yeah. bringing up all that trauma. It's just going to trigger you. Like, how is that helpful? It's um, not, yeah. Yeah, so that's a really great idea um, that you that you wrote it up. Oh, the yeah, yeah, it is. It's a good idea because otherwise, then they can sort of read it before the appointment and sort of know what's happened and sort of where you're at, or maybe not where you're at, but um, sort of what you've been it's through true. and how to 
because it's mm. it is you just re-traumatize yourself and then you get stuck some people get stuck there you know it's hard to come back because we're not taught how to regulate our emotions so yeah that's it they should probably teach us that in school actually yeah you just get stuck there i used to a lot well i hope today i hope you've enjoyed chatting to me i've really enjoyed chatting to you and hearing your stories but it's yeah, all right. no, thanks um, for inviting me on i'm just really excited to have um your perspective and yeah i hope that you'll listen even though you might not like the sound of your own voice I will. <laughs> none of us do once it's recorded but um yeah i'll send you the link once i've edited it yeah and for published sure it. i'd love yeah. that That brings us to the end of our fifth episode of Rewriting the Narrative Women in the Justice System. Thank you to our special guest, Amy, for sharing her lived experience with addiction and involvement in the legal system, as well as about her journey moving forward and sharing her insights and advice for both service users and professionals to help improve service access and support. We're still coming up with a plan for our next few podcasts, And we're hoping these will be face-to-face interviews, so we're very excited about this. Please tune back in a couple of weeks to hear what's to come. If you have any topics you would like covered, please email livingfreeprojectfrankston at gmail.com with your suggestions. Thanks for listening. (music) 